It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. church history, there have been many secret followers of Jesus, people who don't want others to know that they're following Jesus, and so they do it secretly. And, and if you're honest with yourself, I think that most Christians with either, uh, either a person or a group at some point in time in your life, you probably, you know, were, you know, you could be described in that way of just kind of trying to be that secret follower, not wanting that person to know that you're a follower of Jesus. And um, in my early Christian life, I was definitely guilty of that. You know, I had some people in my life that I, I didn't want them to know that I was a follower of Jesus, and uh, I kept it secret when I was around them. And uh, I'm not proud of that, but it, it's something that I struggled with, something that I did. And and I and I've you know come to realize as I talk with more and more believers that many believers have uh, this struggle in their life at some point in time, or maybe even presently, of like you know what uh, I'm struggling with really just being that open believer to everybody in my life that I want everybody to know that I. Follow Jesus. Well, this morning in John chapter 19, we're going to see two men who were secret followers of Jesus, and those two men are Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And the encouraging thing that we're going to see about these two men is that they're going to go from being secret followers of Jesus to being open followers of Jesus. And as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus make this change from secret to open followers of Jesus, we're going to look at three important things uh, that change in what they were concerned about. You know, because their concerns are what ultimately made them secret followers of Jesus. There were certain concerns that they had that caused them to say, I- I'm not going to declare openly, publicly, that I'm a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to see some of these concerns change so that they go from that secret follower to that bold, open follower of Jesus. Now, as we look at the change from secret follower of Jesus to open follower of Jesus, we're going to focus on two main things. The first thing we're going to focus on are the three important things that change in what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were concerned about. We're going to look at the three important things that change that caused them to go from these secret followers of Jesus to these open followers of Jesus. And those three important things are this. First, they went from being concerned about being rejected for following Jesus to being concerned about doing what was right for Jesus. Second, they went from being concerned about being defiled by Jesus to being concerned about being devoted to Jesus. And third, they went from being concerned about the financial costs of openly following Jesus to being concerned about giving all they could to Jesus. So there were three significant things that changed in these two men's lives that ultimately led them from secret follower to open follower of Jesus. And um, what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus struggled with and the changes that happened in their lives, uh, it's very important for us to understand today because it's something that's prevalent to us. 
You know, there have been several surveys done among Christians over the years, and these surveys reveal that uh, many Christians are not willing to be open about their Christianity in different areas of their life. Uh, In certain areas of their lives, these Christians try to be secret Christians, so they don't want certain people to know that they're followers of Jesus. And according to these surveys, the first main area where Christians try to be secret Christians is at work. Uh, the, the second main area was with family, and the third main area was among neighbors. So many Christians, you know, they don't want their coworkers or family or extended family or, or, or neighbors to know that they are a follower of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing these surveys revealed is the main reasons why these people sought to be secret followers of Jesus with these certain groups of people is really for the same three main reasons that we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus deciding to be secret followers of Jesus. They were concerned that their co-workers, family members, or neighbors would reject them for being a follower of Jesus. They were concerned at how their connection to Jesus would impact their life. And they were concerned about the financial costs they would lose, especially in their job, if they were openly following Jesus. So the reasons that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were secret Christians are really the same reasons that many people today are in that same boat of being secret Christians. And something very important for us to understand is God doesn't want us to be secret Christians. You know, this is not an example of what we should follow. The example of change is what we should follow. but, But God does not want you or me to be a secret Christian. He wants us to be open about the fact that we follow him with everybody that he brings into our lives. So the first thing we're going to be looking at and focusing on this morning are these three important changes that take place with Joseph and Nicodemus. The second thing we're going to focus on is the event that happened. What event happened that caused these men to go from these secret believers to these open believers? What event happened that caused these men to be concerned about something different than what they were prior to the event? And the event that changed these two men to go from these secret followers to open followers is the same event that should ultimately change us, that should impact us as well. And the three things that changed in Joseph and Nicodemus and the things they were concerned about Those are things that need to change in our lives if they haven't yet already. And this is why what we're going to look at this morning is so important for us, not only to understand, but also to apply to our lives. So we're going to start by reading. It's a short passage that we're going to cover this morning. We're going to read that, and then we're going to look at what all the Gospels have to say about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. There's not that much, but I just want to give us a a good picture of who these men were And then after we look at those things, we're going to look at the three things that changed in their lives. So we'll see what they were. Well, what is it that changed? And then we're going to finish with what was the event that happened that brought this great change in their life? So let's start by reading the passage we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. It says this. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred pounds. But they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where 
He was crucified. There was a garden in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So these verses tell us some important details about Joseph of Arimathea, about Nicodemus, and some things that they do after Jesus dies on the cross, and also gives us a couple of details about what they were like before Jesus died on the cross. And so what I want us to focus on first is what were these guys like before Jesus was crucified? And so we have a couple details here in John. We have even more in the other Gospels as well. And so let's just start with Joseph of Arimathea. We see here in John chapter 19 something very important that John reveals to us, that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us six more important details about Joseph. And so when we put them all together, we're going to see several important de- uh, seven important details about Joseph's life before Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27, 57 tells us this about Joseph. Now, when evening had come, there, was a, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Mark 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Luke 23, 50 and 51. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed, for he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Of God. So all these four Gospels here share these seven important details about Joseph of Arimathea, and let's note what they are. First, he was a rich man from Arimathea, and we just used where he's from just to kind of distinguish him from all the other Josephs that lived at that time. He became a disciple of Jesus. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, speaking of the Messiah to come. He was a good and just man. He was a prominent council member. This is speaking of being on the Sanhedrin council, which had 71 members on it. And the Sanhedrin council is the one that found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. Remember, we had that trial that had six parts to it. The third part is when they finally went before the Sanhedrin. They're the ones who had the official trial, made the official declaration and sentence of Jesus that he was guilty of blasphemy. They sentenced him to death. So he's a part of that council. But notice that we're told the sixth thing, which is very important, even though he was a part of that council, he had not consented to the Sanhedrin's decision and deed to kill Jesus. So we know the Sanhedrin, they came and said, hey, you know what, Jesus, he's guilty of blasphemy, we want to sentence him to death. But understand, that was not a unanimous uh, decision. Here we have at least one gentleman, Joseph of Arimathea, he did not consent to Jesus being crucified. Now, the fact that we are told that he become a disciple of Jesus, that he was waiting for the kingdom of God, the Messiah to come, that he was a good and just man, he hadn't consented to what the Sanhedrin council wanted to do to Jesus, all those things would cause you to think, here is an open follower of Jesus. But John reveals, well, actually, that's not the case. He was a secret follower of Jesus. And John tells us the reason. Well, why is this guy a secret follower of Jesus? Why is he not willing to be an open follower of Jesus? His reason is for fear of the religious leaders. 
He knew more probably than most because he's part of the Sanhedrin council just how much these religious leaders despised and hated and wanted to destroy Jesus. And so he was afraid of what would happen to him if he openly declared that he was a follower of Jesus. Now, back in John chapter 12, we're told that there were actually several people who were religious leaders that believed in Jesus. But let me remind you of what John tells us about these people. In verses 42 and 43 of chapter 12, it says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So notice that John says, hey, even among the rulers, even among those who were you know, in this ruling position of even being on the Sanhedrin council, people like Joseph of Arimathea, they believed in Jesus, but they were secret believers. They were not willing to openly confess that they followed Jesus. Why? Because they were afraid of being excommunicated from the synagogue and were also told because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So these religious leaders like Joseph of Arimathea were secret believers. And the reason they were secret believers is the same reason he was. They're afraid. They're afraid of what openly following Jesus would do to them. Now, it's important to note here that, you know, John's making very clear that there are more than just one. Uh, He tells us that even among the rulers, many believed in him. And so we know one of those is Joseph of Arimathea, but there's another secret follower of Jesus who's a religious leader, who's in that same type of position as Joseph of Arimathea, and that's a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now in John chapter 19, John refers to Nicodemus as he who at first came to Jesus by night. John's not giving much details now because in chapter 3, he already wrote a lot about Nicodemus. So he's just reminding his readers. Remember the guy that I told you that came to Jesus by night? Well, here he is again doing some things. So if you remember back in chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and they have this amazing conversation where Jesus reveals to Nicodemus the truth about how to be saved, how to be born again. You know, the most quoted and memorized verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, that happens in the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And in chapter 3 of John and chapter 7 of John, we're given four important details about Nicodemus and what he was like before Jesus was crucified on the cross. And so let us note these things about him. John chapter 3, verse 1, we're told, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And in John chapter 7, verses 50 to 52, it says, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So in these uh, verses, we have four important things about Nicodemus. First, we're told that he was a Pharisee. Second, he was a ruler of the Jews. So a Pharisee, he's already a religious leader. He's already in that kind of role. But now a ruler of the Jews, he's actually in a high position of being a religious leader. And third, we know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the reason we know that is because here in John chapter 7, when he speaks up as a member, this is the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin, remember, they wanted Jesus arrested. They sent out uh, these officers to arrest Jesus. The officers come back, and Jesus isn't with them, and they're all upset, and they're you know, saying, what, does he deceive you as well? How come you didn't bring him to us? And it was at this moment where the Sanhedrin's gathered, hoping that Jesus will be brought, that now Nicodemus speaks up. And he speaks up on behalf of Jesus, and he says, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? Now remember, Nicodemus took the time to hear Jesus and know what he's doing. He went to Jesus, he listened to Jesus, and he's trying to encourage the rest of the Sanhedrin, hey guys, we should listen to this man before we judge him, before we condemn him. And he's hoping that he can get others because he has been impacted by that conversation, by the words of Jesus towards himself, and he's hoping that they will take the time to listen to Jesus as well, but they just completely dismiss him. Are you from Galilee? You know, don't you know that there's no prophet coming out of Galilee? And so they don't listen at all to what he shares, but he's trying to help Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to be judged. So the fourth thing we're told about Nicodemus, he didn't want to judge and condemn Jesus like the other members of the Sanhedrin council. And it's most likely that since Nicodemus doesn't want to judge Jesus here in John chapter 7, that he's just like Joseph of Arimathea, and when they actually got together to condemn Jesus on his trial, he was probably another person who did not consent to that. We're not told that, but it seems to fit considering he already did this once. Now, the fact that Nicodemus is still on the Sanhedrin council as Jesus is crucified, it reveals one final important thing about Nicodemus. You see, remember back in John chapter 9, the religious leaders decided what they were going to do to anyone who would openly confess that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. Let me remind you of what they said. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So here's the reality. If Nicodemus was an open follower of Jesus, he would no longer be on the Sanhedrin council. If Nicodemus was an open follower of Jesus, he would have been put out of the synagogue. He would have been excommunicated from all these religious leaders who despised Jesus. So what does that tell us? Well, there's only two realities here. Either he was a secret follower of Jesus, or he wasn't yet a follower of Jesus. Now, because of Nicodemus' amazing encounter with Jesus in in chapter 3, and the fact that he stands up for Jesus in chapter 7, I lean to the fact that he's more like Joseph, that he's a secret follower of Jesus. He's come to that belief in him, but he's just scared of openly confessing it because of what might happen to him from the Jews. Well, now that we've seen what the Bible tells us about Joseph and Nicodemus before Jesus is crucified, I want us to note three significant things that happen after Jesus dies on the cross. And we're going to see these things in the verses that I already read. I'm going to read them again, and we're going to look at these three important changes in these two men. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury now the place where he was crucified, was a garden. Uh, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So there they lay Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. What John reveals here in these verses shows us three important things that change in Joseph and Nicodemus about what they were concerned about. Three things that changed that caused them to go from secret followers of Jesus who didn't want anyone to know that they followed him to doing something that was very open, that everyone could see, and it was directly for Jesus. And we see these three changes in what Joseph and Nicodemus do with the body, uh, the dead body of Jesus. John tells us that Nicodemus, he goes before Pilate. And he asked Pilate for permission to take the body of Jesus. And the reason he wants the body of Jesus is because he wants to give Jesus a proper burial. And he's going to actually place Jesus in his own personal tomb. Now, John's gospel doesn't tell us whose tomb it is, but Matthew's gospel does. In Matthew 27, 59 and 60, it says, When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. So Joseph buries Jesus in his own personal tomb. But he's not there alone. He has someone who's helping them. And that person is Nicodemus. And notice what Nicodemus provides for this burial. We're told he provides a hundred pounds of this mixture of myrrh and aloe, which was to put on Jesus' body. And this was something that was typically done, not to this extreme, not to this amount, but uh, this is part of a normal Jewish uh, burial process. You would take the person and you would clean them completely of all the things that were all over them, and that would have been quite a task for all that Jesus had gone through. Uh, and after you clean the body, uh, then you would uh, take all these spices and you would wrap the body and ultimately keep it from smelling, and uh, the aloe was to help preserve it. But something important to understand here is that usually a person who was crucified, they weren't given a proper burial. And that was, you know, another kind of the, the condemnation that they wanted to bring against them and their family as well, you know, because it was something important, especially the Jews, to have a proper burial. So they would just crucify them and they would just take their bodies, toss them outside the city, and whoever was crucified, they just lump them together. You know, that was the typical way that the Romans dealt with crucified bodies. But what Joseph and Nicodemus do is... They take it. They take the body of Jesus. They get permission to do that. And notice that it's not something that's secret. It's something that's very open. They come to the governor, Pilate. They have to get the body. They have to take the body, and they have to put the body in this tomb and prepare it for burial. And it was a clear display, not only to Pilate, but also to the religious leaders that they disagreed with the sentencing and the crucifixion of Jesus. And they were going to treat Jesus with the dignity he deserved and giving him a proper burial. But this burial shows a change. It shows a change in what they were concerned about. What they were concerned about before Jesus died versus what they're concerned about now that he is dead. Now, John already told us that Joseph was a secret disciple, and the reason he was a secret disciple was for fear of the Jews. And we looked in chapter 12 that the other religious leaders who were secret disciples like Nicodemus, same reason, fear of the Jews, the religious leaders, and what they would do to them. So Joseph and Nicodemus, they're concerned. They're concerned about being rejected by the religious leaders for openly following Jesus. But now... There's this change. 
a change in their life where they're saying, you know what, my concern of rejection for openly following Jesus is not going to stop me any longer. Now I'm going to do something that I know is going to bring rejection. I'm going to do something that I know the religious leaders are going to hate, but I'm going to do it anyway for Jesus because he deserves a proper burial. And say, do something without concern for what the religious leaders will do to them. So the first change we see in Joseph and Nicodemus is they went from being concerned about being rejected for following Jesus to being concerned about doing what was right for Jesus. What Joseph and and, uh, Nicodemus do here in burying Jesus in Joseph's personal tomb was going to bring some serious rejection from the religious leaders. I'm sure they were hoping and wanting, you know, we not only want this man dead, we want him discarded outside the city gates. We don't want any tomb for him. We don't want any remembrance of him. We want to get as far away from Jesus and his memory as possible. And so the last thing they want is one of their own or two of their own coming and taking the body of Jesus and burying that body. But not only that, that would have made them very upset in itself, But the fact that Joseph gives Jesus his own personal tomb would have been something that would have infuriated the religious leaders. And the reason that it would have infuriated them is because, remember when we looked at the seven things about Joseph of Arimathea? One of those things was that he was a rich man. And so here you have a rich man giving Jesus his tomb. Well, why would that infuriate the religious leaders? Well, the reason it would infuriate them is because there's a prophecy in Isaiah that says that exact thing would take place. Isaiah 53, 9 tells us, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. What Isaiah is prophesying here is after the Messiah died, those who killed him would assign him to be buried with the wicked. As I mentioned, the Romans would say, all right, we're assigning you to have your body thrown outside the the gates of the city and just a heap with these two thieves that you were crucified with. So they would assign him to be ultimately buried with the wicked. But that's not what happened with Jesus. The typical thing didn't take place. Why? Because Joseph gets permission to take Jesus' body, and Joseph's a rich man, and Isaiah's saying, hey, he's ultimately going to be buried in the rich man's tomb. So Joseph, in doing this, fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah. And remember, the, the religious leaders want all connection to Jesus as the Messiah, completely gone. They're tired of it. They're trying to destroy it. They had him crucified for it. But here's another fulfillment of a messianic prophecy, speaking about something that would happen with the Messiah and that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And so when that happens, and Joseph of Arimathea is part of that, and Nicodemus is a part of that, man, the rejection that they would have received from the religious leaders, I'm sure would have been great. Today, many people are secret followers of Jesus instead of being open followers of Jesus. And one of the reasons for that is because they're concerned about being rejected. If I openly follow Jesus in a certain place in my life, whether it's at work or with family or or with neighbors or friends, you know, will I be rejected? And that fear of being rejected for openly following Jesus has caused a lot of people to be secret followers of Jesus. 
you know, the reality is it's not popular in our world today to follow Jesus. And so if you do, the likelihood of you being rejected for it is actually pretty good. Now, if you're not willing to openly follow Jesus because you're concerned about being rejected by the world because of it, I think you need to ask yourself some very important questions. What are you more concerned about? Being rejected for following Jesus or doing what is right for Jesus? Yeah, that's something that Joseph and Nicodemus were, were faced with. What's more important, being rejected for following Jesus or doing what is right for Jesus? What's more important, pleasing the world so they don't reject you or pleasing God so that he doesn't reject you? Whose rejection means more? Whose rejection is more powerful? Whose rejection has more motive in your life to determine what you're truly concerned about? Are you concerned about the right things? Or does there need to be a change in your life about what you're concerned about? So the first change we see in Joseph and Nicodemus over what they were concerned about is they went from being concerned about being rejected for following Jesus to being concerned about doing what was right for following Jesus. Now, if you remember back when the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, there's something they wouldn't do. They wouldn't go into the praetorium where Pilate was at because it was full of a bunch of Gentiles and we're told they didn't want to go in there lest they be defiled on the Passover Eve, where they could now not eat the Passover because they were defiled. So they do something, and we notice the hypocrisy of that. They're willing to murder the Son of God. They're not worried about the defilement of that. But it just shows, you know, for the religious leaders, they would do anything they could not to defile themselves, especially on this feast night, which was so important to them. They want to make sure they are able to partake of the Passover meal. Now, there's another thing that the Old Testament law clearly says would defile you, and that is if you touch any dead body, whether that's a dead body of an animal or a dead body of a person. Now, keep this in mind, because the Jews, religious leaders, they're trying to do everything they can not to go into the praetorium because they want to not defile themselves to partake of the Passover meal. And this would have been important to Nicodemus. This would have been important to Joseph of Arimathea. They're both on the Sanhedrin. They both would have not wanted to be defiled. They both wanted to be able to make sure they can partake of the Passover meal without defilement happening to them. But you know what? Notice what happens. Nicodemus does one thing, and Joseph does two things that would have defiled him. Joseph goes into the praetorium in order to get permission from Pilate to get the body of Jesus. Defilement number one. He goes into this place that the other religious leaders weren't willing to go to so that he can actually get Jesus' body. And then both these men touch the dead body of Jesus. In order to prepare his body for burial, guess what? They had to touch him, and they chose to. They were rich. They could have gotten servants to do it. They wanted to do this themselves. They chose to touch this dead body, which ultimately brought defilement to them before taking the Passover meal. So the second change we see in Joseph and Nicodemus over what they were concerned about is they went from being concerned about being defiled by Jesus to being concerned about being devoted to Jesus. There's devotion, clear devotion seen here in this desire to give Jesus the proper burial that they felt he deserved. And that was a greater concern to them than being personally defiled by touching Jesus' dead body. 
You know, today, as we already mentioned, there are many people who, you know, they're wanting to be secret followers as opposed to open followers. And another reason why people choose to do that is because they're concerned about how openly connecting themselves to Jesus' death and resurrection will personally impact them. If I'm connected to the death of Jesus, is that going to defile me in some way? Is that going to bring some kind of negative uh, consequence into my life? It's going to have some detrimental effect on me. Like in a relationship they have that they don't want to lose, because the person that they're in a relationship with wouldn't like the fact that they are an open follower of Jesus. Or maybe in goals they're trying to accomplish that they don't want to miss out on because the goals that they have are not in line with Scripture. They're not goals that God would want for them. Or in the career they're trying to move up in because those that they work with don't value or don't like someone who would be openly following and devoted to Jesus. You know, if you're concerned that your open devotion to Jesus will negatively impact your life, it's probably because you're living for the things of this world. That, that's be the main reason. All those examples I gave is only because someone's saying, you know what, there's a, a worldly relationship, a worldly goal, I'm with worldly people, and I want to keep all of those things, and so therefore, I'm not going to be an open follower of Jesus because I'm concerned that openly following Jesus will hurt my life with these different things that are ultimately worldly. If you're living for God in open devotion to Jesus, you know what? You're not going to have the negative things. You're going to have positive things. Your real concern should be the negative impact that a secret devotion to God brings your life. When you're a secret follower of Jesus, there are all sorts of consequences that come to you personally. But it's not just to you personally. Think of all the people that God brings into your life for the purpose of, I want you as my follower to be a witness to this person, to demonstrate who I am to them, to share the gospel with them, but you won't do it because you're trying to be secret about it. You don't want them to know that you're a follower of Jesus. You're never going to open up your mouth about him. You're never going to share the gospel with them. So not only does it have negative consequences on you personally, but what about the people in your life that you could be reaching for eternity, but you're not willing to because you're scared of what might negatively happen to you in the process. Once again, are you concerned about the right things? Or there's a need to be a change in what you're concerned about? So the first change here is they went from being concerned about being rejected for following Jesus to being concerned about doing what was right for Jesus. Second, they went from being concerned about being defiled by Jesus to being concerned about being devoted to Jesus. Now, another concern that Joseph and Nicodemus would have in openly following Jesus is what it would cost them financially. Now, we already noted that Joseph was a rich man. We're told that's one of the things. He's a wealthy guy. But you know what? Nicodemus, as we can see with what he brings to the burial of Jesus, he's also a wealthy guy. But following Jesus openly, that could have cost him a lot. You see, their wealth, for the most part, had come with their position. He said, this is not just a religious position being on the Sanhedrin council. This was also the position that brought them their income. And it was very lucrative. 
To be in this role, to be in this position, you know, they, they got a lot from that and they became wealthy because of it. And so to openly follow Jesus, recognizing I'm going to lose my position and all the money that comes with it and all the influence that comes with it and all the power that comes with it, that was a lot to lose. And I'm sure that was one of the fears when they weighed, like, should I be secret or should I be open? Well, if I'm open, I can kiss all this stuff goodbye. It's all going to be taken away. But notice that they not only do something that have most likely lost them their position, but they take their wealth and give it to Jesus. Joseph gives Jesus his personal tomb. And we're told this is a beautiful tomb. It's a new tomb. It's a tomb that's in a garden. And this would have been something that would have just been very valuable. And he gives this to Jesus to be laid in. And even for him, you know, these tombs were meant not just for you, but for your family as well. And so this is a huge sacrifice. I'm giving this wonderful, beautiful garden tomb that's designed for me and my wife and my kids, and we're all going to be placed in here when we die, but I'm giving it to Jesus. It would been worth a lot of money, and he freely gives this valuable tomb to Jesus. Now, a proper Jewish burial included several things that I mentioned before, but, but one of it was, you know, these aloes and these spices and a few pounds of that was something that was normal to use. But notice here, Nicodemus, he goes above and beyond. We're told he brings a hundred pounds of this mixture of myrrh and aloe. And he uses that with Joseph, putting it in the linens, wrapping it around Jesus' body. And this was a part of the burial process, but not that much. That was expensive. Very expensive to use it. If you remember back when um, Judas rebukes Mary because she takes that oil of spikenard and, and she pours it out, and oh, that could have given us all this money. Well, yeah, that's a lot of money, and this is what Nicodemus is bringing here, something this myrrh would have cost a huge amount of money. That's okay. I want to give Jesus the burial I feel he deserves, and I'm willing to invest my own money in order to do that. And so he's doing something that probably is going to lose him his position, his power, his influence, his money, and he's willing to give of his own money to Jesus. The third change we see in Joseph and Nicodemus over what they were concerned about is they went from being concerned about the financial cost of openly following Jesus to being concerned about giving all they could to Jesus. They were once concerned of what kind of sacrifice will I have to give to openly follow Jesus. And now they're happy to sacrifice all they can to give Jesus a proper burial. Here's another one of those things where people today say, you know what, I'm just going to be a secret follower instead of an open follower of Jesus. And one of the things is I'm concerned what it's going to cost me. What am I going to have to sacrifice in order to openly follow Jesus in a world that is hostile to him? What will it cost me financially? What am I going to have to, to give up in order for that to happen? If I openly follow Jesus at my work, it might cost me a promotion. It might even cost me my job. If I openly follow Jesus in front of my family or extended family, maybe it's going to cost me my inheritance. Maybe it's going to cost me some kind of relationship. 
If I openly follow Jesus in some area of my life, what kind of sacrifice am I going to have to make in order to do that? You know, if you're concerned about the cost of openly following Jesus, let me encourage you, what you're going to gain from openly following Jesus is far, far greater than anything that you would lose in openly following him. Especially when you look at eternity and you look at you know, what's really valuable in life. And how much can you gain in this life that's going to be greater than you reaching someone with the gospel and seeing them saved for all eternity? You know, as Jesus says, hey, what good is it if you gain this whole world and lose your own soul? Well, what good is it if you gain all these things and yet other people die in hell because you were a secret follower not willing to share the gospel with them? Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed while trying to reach people with the gospel, he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, the world says it's foolish to be an open follower of Jesus. It's foolish because of what you're going to have to sacrifice. It's foolish because of what you're going to lose. But it's not foolish. It's not foolish to give up things in this world to gain what you get in following Jesus. But you know what is foolish? giving up following Jesus openly, being the secret follower of Jesus to gain what this world has to offer. That's what's really foolish. The world wants to tell you the opposite, but the foolish thing is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot for and aim for and, and devote myself to what I can get from this world, and I'll just secretly follow Jesus while I do it. As opposed to, I'm going to boldly, openly follow Jesus, and I don't care what this world has to offer, because what I receive from following Him is so much greater and so much more rewarding and lasts for all eternity. Once again, are you concerned about the right things? Does there need to be a change in what you're concerned about? So we see these three changes in these two men. They went from being concerned about being rejected to being concerned about doing what was right for Jesus. From being concerned about being defiled by Jesus to being concerned about being devoted to Jesus. From being concerned about the financial cost of openly following Jesus to being concerned about giving all they could to Jesus. But I want to finish with just thinking about this. What event happened? that caused these men to have this drastic change? What event took place that caused these men to go from a secret follower of Jesus to an open follower of Jesus? What event could have happened that, that made these changes in their life? Joseph and Nicodemus were secret followers of Jesus all the way to Jesus' death. And now right after Jesus' death, they become these open followers of Jesus. And there's only one event between those two things. The event that changed these two men was Jesus' death on the cross. Now I want you to think about something. Remember when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus? Nicodemus got to hear things from Jesus that most people didn't. And Jesus shared with Nicodemus the way in which he would die and what would happen if people would believe in him. John 3, 14 through 17 Jesus tells Nicodemus this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, when Nicodemus sees Jesus lifted up on the cross, I'm sure that the words of Jesus now starts to resonate in his mind. You know, he told me, as Moses lifted the serpent, that he would be lifted as well. And he told me that those who believe in him would have everlasting life. I'm sure the death of Jesus, as Nicodemus looked at him on the cross, moved him in a powerful way. We see the change that comes because of it. As Joseph and Nicodemus saw Jesus die, something in them changed. What they were concerned about changed. Their actions changed. They became open followers of Jesus and stopped being secret followers of Jesus. And the thing that changed them was looking at Jesus' death on the cross. You know, as they looked at the cross, they went from being concerned about being rejected for following Jesus to, hey, I want to do what's right for Jesus. As they looked at the cross, it's like, I'm no longer concerned about how I'm going to be defiled by Jesus. I'm concerned about how I'm going to be devoted to Jesus. As they looked at the cross, they didn't concern themselves with the financial cost, the sacrifice that they would have to endure in order to openly follow Jesus. They now were concerned with giving all they could to Jesus. You know, if you're struggling with being a secret follower of Jesus in an area of your life, perhaps is at work or with family or with neighbors or, or whoever it may be, friends, my encouragement to you is look to the cross. Remember what Jesus did for you. He openly died for you so that you would openly live for him. He boldly went to that cross and took your sin, took the judgment of God upon himself, and he desires that you and I would openly live for him and be bold for him in sharing with others what he's done. If you're concerned about being rejected for following Jesus, about being defiled for following Jesus, about the cost of openly following Jesus, look to the cross. And as you look to the cross, watch the change that happens in your life. Watch how what you're concerned about changes. Watch how the cross and what Jesus did moves you like it moved these men to go from secret to open followers of Jesus. When you stay focused on Jesus and what he did for on the cross, that's the thing that's ultimately going to impact you and it's going to lead you to be bold and share with others what he did for you. John Piper wrote this, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is. Cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. If you want to be an open, bold follower of Jesus, then my encouragement to you is daily look to the cross. Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me, speaking of communion, because it causes us to cast our gaze back to what he did for us. He wants us to regularly look to the cross because it's such an important, powerful thing to help us when we're afraid, 
when we're not wanting to be bold, when we're not wanting to be open about our relationship with Jesus and the fact that we follow him, look to what he did for you and let that motivate you, let that change you, let that remind you of that's the only way that these people you claim to love who are family and friends and co-workers and neighbors, it's the only message that's going to bring salvation to them and God has called you and he's called me to go into the world and preach the gospel and you can't do that as a secret follower of Jesus. You can only do that as you open boldly proclaim the message of the gospel and live the life that God has called you and I to live. Let's pray.